Well, we're continuing our series in Matthew chapter 5 and the Beatitudes. And uh, this evening we're going to look at the second Beatitude in verse 4 of Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus was teaching here in what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. He'd gone up on a mountainside and sat down in order to teach his disciples in particular. And uh, he was also speaking to the crowds who had gathered. They were able to listen in on what he was saying. And uh, these words are, are no ordinary words because they're spoken by the Son of God. Those sent to arrest him said no one ever spoke the way this man does. They have unique authority and uh, they speak absolute truth. Uh, In John's Gospel, we're told the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. And Jesus says, the words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Full of the spirit and life. These are the words of eternal life. And uh, they come with unique authority. Uh, Those who follow other religions, when they read the Bible, and particularly when they read the teaching of Jesus, recognize this authority. There is no one who ever spoke like this man. And uh, he spoke these words to encourage his disciples and also to teach them God's way with the soul, how God deals with us, what true blessing is, what true happiness is. And as we saw last week, in many ways they are strange. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And now in this beatitude, blessed are those who mourn. Truly happy are those who mourn. And it's explaining to us something of the experience of those who know God uh, and of how he deals with us. Because it's a very different experience, as we shall see, from simply being religious. Outward religion produces certain responses in us. But the work of God's Spirit produces something very different. And uh, these Beatitudes are a description, really, of, of Christian character. They're not commanding us what we've got to do. They're telling us what Christians are like. Uh, Christians are poor in spirit, they mourn, they are meek, they hunger and thirst after righteousness. And sometimes these experiences that we have seem strange to us, so we may misunderstand them and even think that perhaps they're indications that we're not Christians. Uh, But Jesus is telling his disciples, these are the, the kind of things that those who know me, those who are my disciples, experience. It's quite obvious that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law couldn't understand what Jesus was saying. And that's because they were religious people. That's why when Jesus met Nicodemus, and uh, Nicodemus had gone really to inquire of this new teacher, and uh, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, you must be born again. He was a very religious man, but he hadn't been born again. And therefore the responses uh, of the soul to God were not something that he knew. The reflexes, the spiritual reflexes of the soul. Uh, 
And so we come to this beatitude, blessed are those who mourn. Now I want to begin by asking the question, what mourning is blessed? What is there to be blessed in in mourning? Sometimes mourning expresses our selfish desires and how they've been frustrated. People get sad because they can't get what they want and uh, they get really upset about it. Uh, Sometimes children can become very sulky because they haven't got something that somebody else has got or something they feel they desperately need and they may even cry and get really upset about it. Toddlers often cry when they can't get their own way. And as we get older, we may still be like that. You've got an example of that wrong sort of mourning, which is definitely not blessed, uh, in King Ahab, when uh, he wants to have the vineyard that belongs to Naboth, that is near his palace. And he goes to Naboth and he says, look, uh, I'd like to buy your vineyard or else to give you one like it somewhere else. And uh, Naboth very uh, reasonably says to him, how can I do that? I I won't give you the inheritance of my ancestors. This land has been passed down generation by generation to me. And so I'm sorry, I'm not going to give it to you. And we're told that Ahab went home sullen and angry because of Naboth's reply. And he lay on his bed sulking and refusing to eat. And then his evil wife Jezebel came and said, why are you sullen? Why don't you eat? And when he told her, then she decided an evil plan to have Naboth falsely accused and killed. But it was all because Naboth said, I won't give you my vineyard. And so here was a a mourning man, but uh, not for a good reason. There was no blessing for him or for his wife in that mourning. And sometimes people are, are sorrowful about the consequence of sin, about the fact that they realize they've done wrong and they will have to face up to the consequences of it. A bit like if you're driving along and you're going too fast and suddenly you see a a blue light uh, in your rear mirror and you suddenly think, oh no, I've been caught. And what you begin to think about is the consequences of that. Now, that's not godly sorrow. That's just a fear of consequences. Uh, And sometimes people are afraid of what lies ahead, and they know they've done wrong. But they're not sorry for what they've done. They're just sorry that what they've done will lead uh, to consequences that they don't want to face. And uh, mourning like that, whether it's Ahab mourning over what he can't have or someone mourning because one day they will have to account for what they've done, but not really sorry before God, they're not blessed. They come from sinful hearts and evil hearts. And then there's also mourning which the Bible describes, which is a response of godly people to ungodliness in the world. Uh, Believers who love God sometimes are deeply disturbed by ungodliness. When we live as we do in an evil day, are are there not times when our hearts break? Are there times when we even shed a tear because we see the growing ungodliness? In Psalm 119, the psalmist says, Streams of tears flow from my eyes because your law is not obeyed. It was the kind of sorrow that Lot experienced when he lived in Sodom, an evil city. And uh, in 2 Peter 2, we're told 
that Lot was rescued, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. And then Peter says, this is so, then if this is so, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. But as you listen to the news, as you read the newspapers, as you realize where our society is going, the laws that are being passed, that are changing everything that have to do with righteousness and truth, then at times when you mourn, does it sometimes break your heart to think of the consequences for the people around us? A few weeks ago, we were looking at Nehemiah and his response to news about the walls that have been broken down in Jerusalem and the gates and uh, the plight of God's city. And we're told that when he heard these things, he sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Here's a man who goes into mourning. Why? Because God is being dishonored. The city that is named after him, the place where he has dwelt, it's, it's in ruins because of what the enemy has done. And he weeps and he mourns. And, and that's a right response to ungodliness and uh, to judgment that comes when Jesus was approaching Jerusalem. Near the end of his life, he saw the city and he wept over it and said, if even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. In fact, our Lord is called a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. And in many ways, we live in a sad day and uh, we mourn because of that. And it's a blessed thing to mourn. It's a blessed thing to be sensitive to the sinfulness of sin and the increasing darkness and the almost total unawareness of, of the direction of travel of our society and the consequences for people. And then, of course, there's mourning in times of bereavement and sorrow because believers experience God's comfort in bereavement. Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Sometimes we walk through that valley or sometimes we are with someone who is walking through that valley. And the psalmist says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here in this darkest of all valleys, there is that promise of, of comfort. And, and we need that comfort in times when we lose loved ones. Sometimes it's the comfort of knowing that they are with the Lord. Sometimes we don't know, but we can commit them to the Lord and entrust them to him. When the friend of Jesus, Lazarus, had died, the sisters had sent word that he was sick, seriously sick, and asking Jesus to come, but he delayed his coming for a reason. But when he arrives in Bethany, uh, Martha, the sister of Lazarus, says to him, Lord, if if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Isn't that a wonderful statement of who Jesus was and what he did? No one died in his presence. And if only he'd come in time, Martha is saying, then Lazarus would not have died. And then she adds, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus replies, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. 
And then these tremendous words that Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, George, she replied, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. But she's struggling, isn't she, to believe and to hold on to that. And Jesus is saying, it's not just the last day. I am the resurrection. I have come here as the one who is the resurrection and the life. And of course, he goes on to raise Lazarus from the dead. What a wonderful comfort. As Lazarus comes out of the tomb and they, they untie him from the bandages that have been wrapped around him. And uh, he's there and he's alive. Uh, and that glorious hope that we have in Christ is a, a wonderful comfort. Death is always an enemy. It's never a welcome thing. Even when a Christian dies, we, we struggle with the fact that they have died. Um, but we have a sure and certain hope. And Jesus says that even though we mourn in that sense of bereavement, we will be comforted. On one occasion, Jesus went uh, to the, the city of Nain. And uh, there was a lady coming out uh, behind a, a coffin. And it was the coffin of her son, her only son. And she was a widow. A tragic situation. This lady had lost her husband, and now her son had died as well. And we're told when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin they were carrying him on. And the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe, and praise God, a great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people. It's a tremendous comfort to know when we go through times of sadness and bereavement that the Lord's heart goes out to us. For some religions, the God they believe in is the unmoved mover. Uh, they believe that everything is preordained. But the God they believe in has no feeling, no compassion. You just have to accept his will. But we're told that we have a high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He understands. He draws near. And he is the source of comfort. He is the Lord of life and of love. And he's the only one who can bring comfort to the bereaved. And in that sense, it is a great blessing to know that comfort and to know his presence, even though we walk through that darkest of valleys. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. But perhaps the main mourning that Jesus has in mind in this beatitude is the mourning of a broken and contrite heart. Uh, mourning because of our sin, our personal sin, and a deep sadness regarding it. 
Now, the word that is used for mourning is a strong word. It speaks of a sorrow that issues in tears. Uh, a sorrow that breaks our hearts. Not, not a gentle, sentimental sorrow. Um, but something that is poignant, piercing, an intense sorrow. Uh, one person renders the, the beatitude in this way. Blessed are those who are moved to bitter sorrow at the realization of their own sin. And so there's that poverty of spirit. There's mourning. There's hungering thirst after righteousness. These are strong desires that those who know God have. Uh, that knowledge of our sin. It's one thing, isn't it, to know that we are sinners, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and sometimes people will say, well, well, yes, of course, we all sin, don't we? But they don't feel their sin. They just accept the fact that everybody sins. And David says in the psalm that we read earlier, Psalm 51, for I know my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. Now, he'd known about his sins before Nathan went to him. He knew what he'd done regarding Bathsheba. He knew what he'd done by asking Joab, who was not a good man to trust, uh, that Uriah should die in battle. Oh, he knew it. But he hadn't felt it. He hadn't experienced it. He hadn't been sorrowful about it. But when Nathan comes and confronts him with his sin, then he's convicted. And suddenly it comes to life and he feels it. And you know, whenever that happens to us and, and we feel our sinfulness, either at the first time we see it and it's drawing us to God and to the Savior, or as Christians, when we feel our sinfulness, it's a miserable experience. It can be an overwhelming experience. And the devil will come to us and say, well, fancy you doing that or saying that or being like that. How can you be a Christian? And you look at your fellow Christians, you think, well, they're not like me. I'm the worst of all people. I'm a disgrace to the Christian faith. I'm a disgrace to the church. And it's painful. And it's overwhelming. And yet the way to God involves penitence. And sorrow. Uh, it involves an acknowledging of our sin. One of the early church fathers, Augustine, uh, who before he was converted had lived a very ungodly life. And he said this, he said, I grew more wretched as thou didst grow nearer. He said, the more you draw near, drew near to me, the more I realize who you are and who, I'm, who I am. We sang that hymn, didn't we? Eternal light, eternal light, how pure the soul must be. When placed within thy searching sight, we shrink not, but with calm delight can live and look on thee. But it was wretchedness that he experienced first. Uh, have you ever had a time when you thought to yourself, I can't see how God can forgive me because of my many sins, because of my frequent sins? Because I promise never to do it again, and then I do. And you mourn, and all mourning is wretched. It's overwhelming in sadness and sorrow. Uh, we've thought a couple of times in recent weeks on 
the woman who had lived a sinful life and who came to the house of Simon the Pharisee. And uh, she stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. And she wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. She felt so wretched. What could she do? The only thing she could do was come to Jesus. She wouldn't have gone to Simon's house if Jesus hadn't been there. But she's, she's weeping. She's mourning. And I don't know that she had any real expectation of what Jesus would do. As he spoke of forgiveness and told Simon that Simon had shown no affection to him, no warm welcome to him, but that she had been so different. And uh, she had been forgiven much, he said, because she loved much. There have been times when, when you've come to Jesus, not in the physical sense she did, but you've come weeping, broken-hearted, overwhelmed by your failure, and longing to, to really love him more and to experience his love. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That's how we come to God. Not making up our sins and, and trying to show how sinful we are. Sometimes people who, who go uh, to the penance and, and confess their sins to a priest. You sometimes hear them saying, well, I, before I went, I had to think, what was I going to confess? And so I thought of some things I could say which was enough to convince the priest that I was uh, really sorry. But, but that's not the experience of someone who's really overwhelmed by sin. Our sins are so great that we are overwhelmed by them. You think of the prodigal son in the parable. He goes to the far country. He, he wastes his father's money. He gets involved in riotous living. He throws himself into the world. And then Jesus says, but when he came to his senses... That was when he suddenly realized what he had done. And he was overwhelmed by it. He didn't have enough to eat. And there was nobody now who helped him. All his friends had disappeared. He was on his own and he felt so wretched. There was only one place that he could go. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here am I starving to death. I will set off and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. You see, that's what sin is. It's against God. It's against his law. And when we feel it, we're overwhelmed with conviction. And he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Was he ever worthy? But there was a time when perhaps he thought he was. Sometimes people who are brought up by wealthy parents assume that they have a right to that and all the privileges that belong to that, but he doesn't feel that anymore. He's not worthy to be called the father's son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he got up and went to his father. And then he, he experiences the love of God. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Beyond their expectations. Because as he's making his way back to the father's house. When he's still a long way off his father sees him. Is filled with compassion for him. Ran to his son. Threw his arms around him and kissed him. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Where is he comforted? In the father's arms, around him, holding him tight, assuring him of his love, kissing him, a love that he doesn't deserve, a grace that he can never earn. And he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
He doesn't go on to say, treat me like one of your hired servants. I'm not worthy, Father. I'm brokenhearted at what I've done. I'm so sorry for what I've done. I can't change it. And the father says to his servants, quick, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and let us have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. You see, the comfort comes. He doesn't sort of say, well, I'm glad you said that, son. I think it would be good if you stewed on it for a while and just reflected on what you've done. No, quick, quick. Ever come to God like that, overwhelmed? You have no right to come. You're not worthy. None of us is worthy. But we've come to him and we've confessed our sin. And he says, quick, the best robe, the ring, the shoes, the celebration. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You see, God doesn't despise the contrite heart. Uh, In the psalm that we read, Psalm 51, David affirms that God is just, God is right, God is good. He asks, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That's what sin does, is it makes us feel dirty. It makes us feel defiled. It makes us feel ashamed. And David's sin made him feel ashamed. And so he asks that his transgressions will be blotted up, blotted up. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. God is right, and I am not. He is true, and I am not. And all I can do when I'm contrite is is cast myself upon his mercy. And he says later in the psalm, my sacrifice of God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, O God, will not despise. David was a courageous man. Faced with Goliath, he wasn't afraid. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, he says. He led Israel out to battle and he was fearless and he won great victories. But what broke his heart was his own deep sin. And he knew that he had sinned against God. And his heart was broken. Uh, He tried to avoid facing up to it, but now he had. And he mourned. And uh, God wonderfully comforted him. Uh, And you know, whether we're coming to God for the first time, seeking forgiveness, or whether we're coming as believers uh, who have sinned and turned away, we come in the same way. I mean by that, our Our heart is broken and we're contrite. One of the sad things sometimes is there are people who have professed faith and then they go through a time when they turn away from God and don't recognize that the urgent need is to return to him in the way that they went to him first when they first 
believed and first put their trust in him. And uh, that he's able to meet their need as a, as a failed Christian in just the way he met their need when first they came to him. And to find again comfort in the gospel and comfort in the saviour. Because Nathan had gone to David and told him a parable, a story. And then uh, he told David, you're the man, you're the man. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He'd sinned against Bathsheba and he'd sinned against Uriah. But his sin was above all against the Lord. All our sin is. And Nathan says, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. You know, the, the grace of God is, is hard to believe when our hearts have been broken. But in the Old and New Testament alike, the immediacy of God's grace is so plain and so clear. So David writes another psalm, Psalm 32, and he says, Blessed, same word, blessed, is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. David is saying I tried to avoid facing up to my sin. He tried to pretend that it hadn't happened. But God's hand was upon him. But none of that dealt with his sin. And then he said... Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Is that perhaps a word to you and me tonight? To face up to our sin? Not avoiding it. Not minimizing it. Not pretending it hasn't happened. But going to God and confessing our sin to him and experiencing forgiveness from the guilt. I say it's guilt that overwhelms us and breaks our heart. And Christians have a continual struggle with sin. And we mourn because of that. And the only comfort we can find is in going to the Lord with that sin. There's that indwelling sin. There's that old nature the Apostle Paul writes about it in Romans 7. He says, I I, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You sometimes say, oh, wretched man, oh, wretched woman that I am. Who will deliver me? And God delivers us through his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We're not blessed when we're not facing our sin. We're not blessed when it becomes familiar. We say, well, that's just the way I am. We're blessed when we confess our sins to God and experience his grace. Because when we do that, we experience his comfort in a very tangible way. He pardons us. He justifies us. 
Remember the parable about the tax collector. The two men go up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, prays with himself and he really tells God all the wonderful things that he's done. I'm not like other men. He has no sense of need at all. But the other man stands at a distance. He's out in the outer court of the temple. He doesn't, he doesn't even look up to heaven. But he beats his breast. And he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, sometimes people say, what, what do I say when I come to God? Well, it's not complicated. It hasn't got to be a long speech. He just casts himself upon God's mercy. And literally what he says is, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. The Pharisee is saying, I'm not like that tax collector. Tax collector is saying like that. He's just thinking about himself before God. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified, put right with God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. When we come to him and confess our sins, we go home justified. Again, you see the immediacy of it. Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. I have sinned before the Lord. Your sin has been forgiven. What a wonderful thing it is to know God's forgiveness. What a comfort it is. So that our sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Paul writes to the Romans and he says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. David had no peace when he didn't confess his sin. But when he confessed it, he found that peace again and that blessedness of which he writes. And he speaks about, Paul speaks about that faith into the grace in which we now stand. Because our Lord restores us when we fall and when we fail. Peter's a great example of that, isn't, it? isn't he? Because he denied his Lord three times. And when it happened the third time, we're told out that he went out and he wept bitterly. Bitterly. He was broken hearted. And he thought to himself, I failed the Lord in the Lord's hour of need. I said I'd never do it, but I did. I did it three times and he told me that I would, but I was, I was too proud, too arrogant. And you know, always when we're broken hearted at sin, then it seems we can't do anything about it. We can't change it. We can't sort of wind back and do something different. And Peter couldn't change it. And he was overwhelmed with sorrow and sadness. And that's why when the Lord meets him by Galilee, he, he starts to ask him questions. And he, he's trying to find out what is really in Peter's heart. Because Peter really loves Jesus. And Peter wants to be faithful to him. Peter wanted, if necessary, to die for the Lord and not to fail him. But he had failed him. And so he had all the desires that a believer has, but, but he had failed and he was overwhelmed by it. And three times Jesus asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Do you truly love me? Do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Have you ever said that to the Lord? You've come and said, Lord, I failed you. Failed you badly, failed you again and again. I keep on failing you. And he says to you, do you love me? And loving the Lord doesn't exempt us from sinning. 
and failing him, and failing him seriously. But he restores us. He says to Peter, feed my lambs. I trust you with a work to do. And so Peter, who was mourned at his failure, is comforted. And uh, the hope of heaven is a comfort too. Uh, In the parable of the talents, a man comes who's been given five talents and he's made five more. And Jesus says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You see, that's the reward of grace. Later on in Matthew 25, as the people are on the right, the sheep and the goats and those on the right, Jesus, the king, says to them, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. He says, Come. And there are times on there when we're so overwhelmed by our failure, so overwhelmed by the fact that we don't feel that we are good and faithful servants. And we wonder, will we ever hear those words? Come, uh, enjoy, share your master's happiness, that kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. But you know, that's the reward of grace. It's the Lord who has forgiven our sins by dying on the cross for them and who has prepared a place for us in heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There's a certainty, isn't there? The mourning is something we experience, but the comfort is also something we experience. And perhaps tonight you need to experience that comfort as you experience the wonderful love and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all that I have, I lay at the feet of the wonderful Saviour who loves me. That's the Christian's response, isn't it? Let me finish by reading some words from the Heidelberg Catechism. It's a very lovely catechism. You may not have read it or read it very often. But it asks this question, what is your only comfort in life and death? What is your comfort? And this is what the catechism says. That I with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. Great statement. That's our comfort. The grace of God in Jesus Christ and all the blessings that are ours in him. And those blessings come, that comfort comes to those who have mourned, mourned their sin and their failure, uh, their unworthiness to be called children of the living God, and uh, who have heard those words, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. My, My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Blessed are those who mourn. 
for they will be comforted.